0: So actually, right. Um, yes, yeah, so I know there were some questions last time. So yeah. So let's. Um, if anybody has questions, as you just said, uh, Avi, um, yeah, they can ask. Uh, I guess um, in the middle of the uh, shiur. Um, in addition, um, let me and I and I will reserve some time at the end. We're going to we're going to finish it a little early today. We don't have too much left till the. Uh, Till the next, uh, to the end of the sugya, so that we should be finishing early. So we definitely will have time for questions. Um, let me uh, let me ask you, Avi, do you have the ability to share the map of the first sugya on your side? Because um, from a technical perspective, I am using only one screen today as opposed to three, so it would be easier. But if you can't, I'll do it on my side. I should be able to. I'll try get it up now. All right. Um, and While you're doing that, let me just um, you know, review where we're at. So, we're about to finish the Where this is a, a so it's called the Sugya Meshuleshet, which means it's a three part Sugya. We saw that each one of the three parts in turn had three parts. Um, it doesn't always have to be like that. Uh, for example, sometimes you can have a Sugya Kefula, Meshuleshet, or Meshuleshet, to kefula. So, there's different um, there's different uh, structural formats for the Sugyot, um, and um in part, uh, and let me know when it's up because I'm, I'm not looking, Avi, when you have the um, map up, uh, let me know uh, so that I'm aware that we can be, we proceed. But in the meantime, I'm going to continue talking. Um, so part one of the, and, and, and the purpose of this really was to understand the very beginning of the Mishnah. What I'm going to do with you at the end of this class is I am going to read to you the Pirusha to of Harambam and you'll see how well the words of Harambam mirror not just the subya, as I've explained it, um, but also mirror the, um, the particular girsa that I chose last week. And I want to say a word about that girsa now, because I know there was a question um, about the girsah, um, and people said, well, you know, we can explain the other girsa this way or that way, and that's fine. I think I, I mentioned in the class that I was a little confused by the other girsa, but I didn't um, discount or eliminate the possibility that there's different explanations. Um, so when we read the Rambam in the Pirush Yot, you'll actually see how his words uh, very, are very carefully crafted uh, to match the Gursa that I brought to your attention. Okay, that's important. Um, but let's just summarize where we're at. We had the uh, textual problem in the Mishnah. We had the approach offered by Rabbi Abhu, Um And uh, the approach offered by the Abhu was fine. But it wasn't um, perfect. It wasn't without problems. The, the, the approach offered by Rabbi as, Abu, as, as studied in the yeshiva of Fombedita, Baraba, had certain textual issues to it. And um, worse yet, not only did it have textual issues, but it ignored the interpretation given by the great Shemuel. So, Shemuel, who was a Talmud of uh, Ben Wakadosh was present, or oh, a young Talmud, a very young Talmud, I should say, uh, but he was certainly present uh, during the editing of the Mishnah He had um, a comment um, uh, on this Mishnah, and, or, or, or he didn't have a direct comment, but apparently he addressed the textual difficulty in the Mishnah, and uh, Rabbi was simply unaware of that. Um, Why was he unaware of that? Um, Well, at the end of this class, I will uh, perhaps address that as well. I hope I make a note to to address that. So Rabbah offers a different approach to the Mishnah. The different approach that Rabbah offers is not an approach that has legal consequences, but it has interpretive consequences. So that's where we're we're at. And basically, the interpretation of Rabbah is the interpretation that's ultimately accepted. And because it's the interpretation that's ultimately um, accepted, you'll see again how Aram on mirrors that interpretation. Um, let's now look. Go ahead. Yeah, to share it now. Yes, sir, please. That would be that would be great. All right, and I am now going to be looking at something else, but you can go to part three, Avi, go to part uh, three of the um, map, and uh, part three is the statement of Rabaha bere derab ikah. Let me explain to you um, what's happening here. Um, Rabaha bere derab ikah is also in yeshivat from bedita, he's one generation later. So meaning um, the discussion of this Mishnah ended during the generation of Ravah. We saw that discussion and that seemed to finalize the matter. But then the next generation, um, um, when Ravah was Rosh Yeshiva, we said the Yeshiva was in by The next generation was Rav Papa. Rav Papa was Rosh Yeshiva. A colleague of Rav Papa is Rav Aha bere de DeRav Ikah and Rab'acha bere was not the Rosh Hashiva, but he makes the following statement. I'm gonna read the statement and then I'm gonna explain it and then I will comment upon it. So just so you know where we're at. So this is a further discussion. This is a further element. Amar midde oraita had name kasher. He makes the following statement, and it is as follows: From the perspective of biblical law, it is sufficient to have a single uh, dayan adjudicating um, these matters. And um, and and where do I learn this from, or where 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 can this be le- gleaned from? So it says and that's using the singular um, form and from here Ravaha, rather I don't want to say from here, but rather Ravaha is um, illustrating his point again using the text in the Torah as a rhetorical tool to express the Halakha, which is Okay. I want, to, I want to point out certain difficulties with this statement. This is a very dramatic statement. Um, until now, we've had several generations of Emoraim, starting with Rabbi Abu in Caesarea, Talmid of Rabbi Yohanan, second generation of Emoraim going to Rava in uh, Fombedita or Mechazah, fourth generation of Emoraim, and, and there is a consensus, and the consensus is as follows. You need to have three Yamim in Dinah um, the, the issue was whether they have to be mumhin or they don't have to be mumhin but three de'anim as a minimum was the um, was, it, was a consensus. And comes Rav Ha'abere de Deravika and he makes this dramatic statement. Um, so, first of all, he's not the Rosh Yeshiva. Now, obviously, the Rosh Yeshiva allowed this discussion to take place because this is a formal statement that's made in the Yeshiva. Um, so, Um, And and, and as I said, I I would venture to guess, or the way the the yeshiva worked is the Rosh Yeshiva allowed discussions to take place on subjects that the Rosh Yeshiva himself approved of, uh, which is to say that the statement wouldn't be made in the yeshiva, wouldn't be recorded in the Talmud as a formal statement if it wasn't for the fact that the Rosh Yeshiva accepted it. So, So while it's a dramatic statement, it's something that was accepted. So we need to understand that a little more um, clearly. I would also add one other thing. We know from other sugyot that Rav Ahavir Edi has conversations with Rab Asher, who was perhaps a little uh, junior to him. So if he is having conversations with Rav Asher, and Rav Asher was one of the editors of the Talmud, we can understand how this statement of Rav Ahavir Edi gets prominence. It's included in the sugya. It's actually a very important statement, um, but I just want to give you that historical context of the different players so that you see the interconnections between the different figures in the Talmud and understanding how um, uh, uh, what's going on, or at least the historical context. Um, okay, let's examine the statement of Rab'chaber Um, By the way, I don't see anybody. I'm assuming that you're still there. Um, I'm just, again, I'm looking at a screen with, uh, with the Talmud. So if can, somebody just shout out and say, yes, we hear you, that would be great. We hear you. I was getting a little concerned. There was a very long pause there. I was getting concerned, um, but, <laughs> but thank you. Okay. Um, so let's um, let me um, let me explain the statement. So at the superficial at the superficial level, the statement of Ravaha is as follows. If you recall, Rabbi Abu said that um, if there are less than three dayanim, N dinehem din. Um, perhaps you can go back in the map of the sugya to the section where the biah who says that, because it's it's important to understand what the issue that ravahad bered deravika is um, addressing. If you go back to part Roman numeral part one, um, capital B, number one, right? Um, was that right? Actually, no. One second. Yeah. Where is it that Rabbi Abu says, En din. One moment, please. Okay. Yeah, I was correct, actually. Yeah. Um, so um, if you find that, it says, Notice what Rabbi Yavu is saying. Rabbi Abu is making a very categoric statement. It is um, unanimously agreed, meaning among the hachamim, there is unanimity, that if to Dayanim they um, make, um, they adjudicate Dinema um, Monot, the adjudication, the judgment is invalid. That's a very, very clear cut statement of Rabiavu, unequivocal, and it's not challenged for many years, it's not challenged for several generations. Now, going back to the statement of Rav Aha, Rabbi Haveret says, actually, no. As a matter of biblical law, if you have one dayan, it's kosher, meaning the, 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 the adjudication is, I don't like the word kosher, it's a valid adjudication. That's what he says. Now, uh, so, so, so let's just understand this. When Rabbi Haveret is adding this detail it's not clear that he's coming to uh, disagree with Rabbi Avu, because all Rabbi Avu says is, he's saying the adjudication is invalid. But when he says the adjudication is invalid, he's talking from a perspective of rabbinic law. As a matter of rabbinic law, we do not recognize a judgment that was conducted um, with Lesson 3 Dayanim, whereas Rabbi 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 Ka, is making the statement, so this is a this is a statement that uh, needs to be um, a further examined okay because what is his position what is his position in the event um it, that there is a, a single dayan who adjudicates um is he going to say that also me Banan the adjudication is um valid so that let's suspend that because that's a question and we have to understand it but as you know um, we're first going to examine the historical reason why the hachamim, if indeed from the perspective of the Torah you could have one dayan, why did the hachamim require three dayanim? And that's part B of the sugya. So part A is we have the statement of Rav Haveret Rabika, which we still have to examine further. Part B is the policy consideration behind why if from the Torah um, one day and it's sufficient. Well, we have to read the name Mishum Yosheve Keranot. It's important in the same Hebrew. Well, as so here, keren um, in the um, Torah, um, you have the word keren. Of course, to describe the horn of an animal as the Shofar, for example, um, but also the word keren is karnota So Karnot refers to the corners. To the extremities of the mezbah. So when we're talking about yosheve kenanot, we mean people who reside at the extremities, meaning we have the Jewish community, and then we have Jews who live far away from the community. Um, Rabbi Hanan El, he uses the word yosheve midbarot. By midbar, he doesn't mean uh, necessarily the Sahara Desert or uh, you know, uh, other regions in North Africa, but rather he means places that are desolate Desolate in, one, in what sense? So um, it's just part of the Hebrew, um, uh, the Hebrew language, um, and and the prose of the Chachamim. So by midba we mean a place that's desolate from Torah. So a place can be, um, you know, it could be a um, you know very lush place with with grass and 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 rivers, <laughs> but it's it's considered in midbar in the sense that it's a place outside the Jewish community, and you don't have time in there and uh, there is no Torah or Torah is dearth. It's, it's not as um, available um, as in other places. So that's what the word Yoshevik cannot mean. So now that we understand the word, um, let's understand the idea. The idea is that there are Jewish people living outside the community. These people engage in business and oftentimes have disputes. And if one of these people has a dispute with, with, uh, with this fellow Jew, and they, they want to have an adjudication, uh, it, the, the adjudication should take place in the presence of three judges, because in the presence of three judges, um, you would have um, an abundance of Torah. Um, it's three people as opposed to one person. So if we follow the biblical law, um, you choose one person. That one person in a desolate place is no doubt in An anhaaris. But if you have three people, there's going to be an abundance of Torah. There will be more Torah. And as a result, and because of that consideration, the Hakamim said, "Let's always have these um, disputes adjudicated with three people." Yoshevekeralot. That's that's the um, that's part B of the suvial. So now we have the statement of Ravacha. We have the policy consideration. We still don't know whether what Ravacha said was the was um, a, a matter of, of rabbinic law as well. We still don't know that. Um, and we still have some challenges to Rabaha. So we're going to have three challenges to Rabaha. Challenge, and as you know, we said several times, this is sugya Mishuleshet. So it's not surprising that we would have three challenges to Rabaha. Exactly. So let's start with the first challenge, challenge number one. Okay, and um, here we go. So challenge number one is, uh, well, um, let's consider this uh, matter. Uh, come now. If you have three judges, do we not still have the um, issue of um, uh, there being a lack of Torah, a lack of Torah knowledge and inability to adjudicate this uh, dispute properly? I mean, it's still a desolate place, nothing changed. Why does having three people, or why does having three, um, uh, you know, I know that in math, one plus one plus one equals three, but if you have, let's say, three Burim who know nothing about Torah, one plus one plus one still equals zero. So that's the basic premise of the Gemara. (laughs) If we have three people who are not in Torah, do we not still have Burut and therefore, um, unfortunately, a bad adjudication of this dispute or an improper adjudication of the dispute? And the Gemara says that even in the most desolate Jewish communities, you will always find somebody who is Gamir. Um, My father in his golden doves, he discusses the difference between Gamir and sabir. Uh, Gamir was the lowest level of learning. It referred to a person who was aware of and fluent in the various rabbinic formulations. So these rabbinic formulations are called halakha. So a person who is fluent in the halakha, for example, he can open up the Mishneh Torah. He knows that the Mishneh Torah says he's gamir, right? Um, there could be gamir the torah kula, there could be gamir, um, um, a person who has fluency in all of the Torah, but at the lowest level, that's called gamir, and the premise Of Rav Ahah, the premise of this statement is that the if you're going to have three people adjudicating a case, there is um, uh, it is it is likely that one of the people that's chosen will end up being a person who has the minimal knowledge of the halachot, and therefore the adjudication would be a more proper adjudication. So that's the first challenge to So again, the policy consideration is, yes, um, uh, three Burim equals zero knowledge of Torah, that's correct, but we're hoping that if you're going to already choose a tribunal, one of the people that's chosen will be a Tamid Chacham who has some, some knowledge, at least of the halachot and therefore has the ability to bring the adjudication into, um, into a valid conclusion. Let's look at challenge number two. So then the question is as follows, and we dealt with this last week. Um, Namely, we dealt with the issue of a person who is not qualified to be a judge. um, If that person indeed acts as a judge and adjudicates a case, he has personal liability for his errors, right? Um, And the question here is, perhaps we should say that uh, since we are aware that we are going to be bringing judges to this adjudication who are not qualified, uh, perhaps therefore we should lower their liability as judges, perhaps therefore we should say, well, in this case, since it's Yosheveh Keranot, there should be no personal liability for errors in adjudication, and the Gemara says, au contraire, kol ken um, no, um, the, um, uh, this, is, this is not the case because we um, want to make sure that if anything, um, they have three judges and the three judges are willing to come forward and are willing to indeed act as judges. And again, the hope being that one of the judges himself will be Gamir. So we do want them to have uh, liability. We do want them to be personally liable so that the three judges that come up are actually qualified. Again, um, let me perhaps, I, I, I'm thinking that I didn't phrase that well, so let me rephrase that. Um, if, if we were to say, oh, there's no personal liability, then we're increasing the likelihood that the nefishe, you're increasing the likelihood that there will be more meaning burim adjudicating um, this dispute. So we don't want that. We would prefer to encourage the tamidah Khamim, perhaps from another city, perhaps from somewhere else, to come and adjudicate the dispute. Um, And and of course, a bur is less likely to adjudicate the dispute if he knows that there's personal liability for errors. So that's why, yes, the law of personal liability, that rule that imposes personal liability upon a non-qualified judge, um, stays in place because we want to encourage encourage qualified judges to step up and adjudicate the action. And finally, challenge number three. Um, and this um, this last question, it it really um, it really explains what the Rav statement is about because we really don't fully understand it yet. I don't like the word challenge, I'm going to revise that word, challenge, it's not challenge number three, I would say this is question number three, or issue number three, uh, because it's not a challenge, we're not challenging, uh, in this particular, in number three here, we're not challenging Rav I'm actually going to change it here on my page, I can't change it on yours, but I'm just letting you know that that change is taking place, issue number three. So this is an interesting question. And perhaps I'm going to invite one of you to um, um, help me here. What is the difference in position between Rabba and Rabba Habere de This is a difficult question. Who said there's a difference in position? Um, why, why are we assuming that there is a difference in position between the two, right? That's an important question. Um, does anybody clear? Uh, does anybody wish to um, chime in uh, as to what the Gemara are? Because they Ika, well, why, well, well, why, why are you making that assumption? Why, why should there be a position? Didn't we say that Ravahai is talking from the perspective of biblical law? But perhaps he fully agrees with, for example, who said that and Dinim um, You understand? So it seems almost like we're trying to contrive a dispute here. Any thoughts? Anybody want to uh, make a suggestion? I'm I'm not going to call in people's names, although the names appear here. But that would be mean. I would not do that. Um, Could it be that- Perhaps we have a, a situation where, if a judgment was made <clears throat> in bidiyavad by sorry, by one judge, bidiyavad, we you know because it was okay according to Torah law, we would abide by it. But lechatchila, we wouldn't encourage that. Or, I mean, you know, there might be some differences in, in, in some boundary conditions. That... Okay. So first of all, this, I, I assume your name is Robert. Did I get that right? Yes. Thank you. Right, well, first of all, thank you for, um, thank you for um, stepping up and for participating. Um, m- there must be some reason, there must be some reason, some a priori reason why the Gemara assumes a contradiction. They say, my Ika Ben, what is the difference between? Those words have a reason for them, right? And, and they're, not, they're not so much you know, um, inside the flow of the discussion. There's nothing in the flow of the discussion that would necessitate that assumption. So there is, and, but there's something, there is something in the wording. Could it be? And I'll tell you what it is, I'm Rav, sorry? Ravacha greater Ika Amar. Uh, who's that? Avi. <laughs> ah, very nice. Exactly. Exactly. It says, now, when Ravena, when Ravena, Ravashavi Ravena, when they edited the text, now also when the statement of Ravachabere Ravika is um, formulated and it enters the records of the yeshiva, in this case, yeshiva Pombedita, it's formulated as Ravachabere de Ama. Now, uh, when, when it says, it means I disagree with the aforementioned, right? Um, and, and it was formulated as a challenge to Rava. So we know that he's disagreeing with Rava. There is a disagreement with Rava. Otherwise, they would have formulated it as, and they could have done that. But if if, it, if the text would have just said, we would be reading this Gemara and saying, Great, okay, so thank you for the clarification. Now we understand that as a matter of biblical law, indeed, one dayan is kasher. As a matter of rabbinic law, you need three dayanim. And the reason you need three dayanim is um, uh, for the policy considerations discussed previously. But it doesn't say that. It says de So we know that there's a disagreement between and That's really important. Um, so uh, let me continue. So I'm going to read that again. My Because you see how every word in the Gemara has meaning, and it's not just, you know, I, I well, I don't mean to say this in a disrespectful way, um, but what, what I'm trying to say is that, um, you know, it's, it's important to assume that the Hakamimu weren't rambling, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and the Hakamimu were very precise in the way they spoke and the way they formulated um, their statements, and they took language incredibly seriously because we're not used to that. We're not used to that um, level of linguistic sophistication. It often seems like, you know, surprising to many people that every single word in the, in the text um, is, is rich with meaning. But that's, that was part of Jewish thinking. Jewish thinking, and my father writes about this in the Horizontal Society, the whole premise of the Horizontal Society is alphabetic thinking, alphabetic thinking. We always thought in terms of words and speech and letters and every letter and every word was meaningful. So it's a different type of thinking for us. Um, and and when it, so when I say we shouldn't assume that the hachamim were rambling, what I'm actually trying to say is that we often do that ourselves, but that's just part of the Western world where, where there is um, less of an em- emphasis on rhetoric and language and more of an emphasis on, well, what is he really saying? What's the idea here, right? And once you know the idea of the language is less important. So I'm reading that again. Maiika The disagreement between Raba and Ravika, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, um, between Raba, excuse me, um, and Raba is the same um, uh, difference, or the same dispute, that you would find between Shemuel and Rabbi Abu, Dishmuel ud Rabbi Avu. Oh, you don't have that right. So, if you look at the, um, if you look at the standard text, the words Dishmuel ud which here you see are capitalized, uh, are not in the standard text. Um, it doesn't change the meaning greatly, but it does uh, serve to clarify Dishmuel Right, it, it, it's it's th- I think it's um it's more elegant in the way it's phrased. Shemuel As Shemuel says, if two judges the judges uh, adjudicate a dispute, um, the judgment is valid. It has legal standing, meaning the litigants must comply. With the instructions of the judges, but uh, this is a bitin hasub This is an arrogant um, 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 judges, right? They 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 have a lot. They're, they're audacious uh, for just sitting down the two of them together and not bringing a third person to join them in this adjudication. But okay, that's a moral meaning. There's a moral problem with the dayanim. Um, we can you know other uh, hakhamim perhaps can rebuke them. But as far as the adjudication, it has a legal standing of law. It was properly done. And um and, and it's fine. So again, the Amar Shemuel Shenaim Shedanu Dinahem Din La Shinik Uvetina Fasu Le If we consider the position of Raba, Let Le Dishmuel Raba does not does not um abide by the um the statement of Shemuel. He does abide by the statement of Shemuel. So what does that mean? So now we got a little more clarity. What that means is that when Ravahah de Ravika made his statement, right? He, um, it, it means that if you have an adjudication which has less than three people, well, okay. So this, this, okay. Well, uh, let me ask another question. Okay, let me ask another question. Does, um, does Rava, does Rabbi Avhu agree with that? So that, that's an interesting question. Well if you look at the Avu's original statement, it's not clear because Rabbi avu's original statement is and The Deen is not a deen, meaning it's 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 invalid. But why is it invalid? You understand my question? Is it invalid as an as a matter of biblical law? Is it invalid as a matter of, well, of course it's invalid as a matter of rabbinic law? But do we say that somehow this has legal standing The Oraita? It's it, 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 it's it's um it's an important question. Um and it, and it's gonna tell you something as to how the um, legal system works. Um, let me give you the following. Um, let me give you, there's, there's two keys here to understanding this discussion, um, and, and let me provide you the two keys. Okay, the first key is as follows, and I think this is related to a question that somebody asked previously in one of the previous classes, or maybe he posted it on the side and I never addressed it. Do the Chachamim um, have the authority to abrogate the olaita laws? That's a good question. Um, can the hakamim abrogate a deen de Oraita? So I would like to say the following. There are actually three cases. Um, this is the this is the Meili in the first chapter of Maschet Megillah. I think he says it. Excuse me. It was the Meili in the first chapter of Mascheti of I think he says it best. Um, and and it's the following three cases. Number one, the Hakamim have a runit. To abrogate a misfat ased de oraita, alta ased, in order to prevent um, a potential violation of a misfat lotah ased de oraita. So the classic example would be so shofar and roshashana. Should we blow the shofar and rosh Shall Shall we the Hashanah? Shabbat. It's a misfat ased de oraita. the answer is, well, yeah, of course, because the misfat uh, of blowing the shofar is misfat ased de oraita. And the Isur of blowing a shofar on Shabbat is a Shevut, and it's even less than a Shevut. The Gemara says in the first chapter of Sekhet Shabbat um, that it's not even a melacha, it's not even melacha, it's just kind of a, it's, it's, it's a type of thing that takes some skill. So according to the standard rules of jurisprudence, we should blow the shofar on um, Rosh Hashanah. The same way that according to the standard rules of jurisprudence, why not make the ulav on, on Sukkot, shahaliot the Shabbat? Right? What's, what's there? There's nothing there. Um, so the Chachamim have the right to abrogate to abrogate the mitzvah the in order to prevent the potential violation of bissvat lo Ta'aseh. In this case, the bissvat lo Ta'aseh is telena arba amot pershut Right? So you're probably familiar with that law. I'm not going to elaborate on that particular law. So that's case number one. Case number one is um, to um, annul, or not to annul, um, to suspend the misfat ase in order to protect the misfat Um uh There is, and by the way, this is important, as long as we're talking about uh, Shofar, the same thing with Megillah. The reason you don't read the Megillah on Shabbat is for the same reason. Shemei talteleina al amok. I really have to add this. I mean, I, I, I'm gonna take this opportunity to be mean. Um, and I'm sorry if this ruins somebody's uh I'm sorry if this ruins somebody's purim. I don't mean to do that. Um I want everybody to be happy and to enjoy themselves. Um but a a good example for would be um can you wear um can a man dress up uh can a man dress up on Purim in woman's clothing as is commonly, I, mean, I used to see this a lot, unfortunately, in, uh, in Israel. And uh, people were very surprised when I announced in the synagogue that actually uh, this is Simlat Ishan. They said, no, but it's for the mitzvah of, uh, of you know, dressing up on Purim. Um, that's a non-existent mitzvah, of course. There's no mitzvah to dress up on Purim. I and mean, you know, everybody does what they want to do, and I'm okay with that. But it's not a mitzvah. Uh, but even if it was a mitzvah, we we can't um we cannot be avre we cannot be um um what do you call it um uh, violent mispat mispat lotase de olaita lo il bashgever simlat isha loil il bashgever simlat isha right so that's important so there is no there are no circumstances where we can just decide that we don't want to abide by mispat lotase I want to get to the, to the third category that the Me'ili brings out, so it's relevant to our um, uh, discussion. The third category is that the hachamim have a right to be mafkirim, the mamon of a person. Mishum din So the bet din have authority over property and the definition of property law, and therefore, by extension, who owns what? Right. That's summarized in the words hefker bet din hefker. Okay. Now I want you that's, So that's key number one. So key number one is even if the oraita, even if the oraita, um, there was um, a property belongs to a certain person, and even if the oraita, the rules require that that person be the owner of that property the betin has a right to be of the property and say, no, he doesn't own it. So over rules, over matters of property law, the betin has a tremendous latitude in their authority. OK? That's important. So now let's get back to the question of Ravah Haberet de and Ravah. So we said that Ravah does not agree with the statement of Shemuel. Shemuel says if two people, made an adjudication. The adjudication is fine. Rava says, no, it's not an adjudication. What do you mean it's not an adjudication? Let's say these two dayanim reached a conclusion. And in the conclusion, they said that take will then take $100 from your pocket and give it to Shimon. Now comes Rava and says, no, I disagree. Uh, what do you mean you disagree? If as a matter of law, de- it was a detin, and as a betim de oraita, they can tell the Reuven, take $100 from your pocket and give it to Shimon. How can Rabbi come and say no? And the answer is Rabbi is saying, as a matter of rabbinic law, this is not a betim. And because as a matter of rabbinic law, this is not a betim, we can say no. Actually, Reuven keeps the $100, right? And don't tell me, but since the oraita, the Reuven has to pay the $100 to Shim'on. He should pay the $100 to Shim'on. No, because hefker bet din hefker. It's a really important point. I hope that I expressed it clearly enough. For, I, I, I don't know if, 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 if I was clear. So if, if you want me to repeat this, I can do it. Because there's also another key I want to get to, and I see that we're getting closer to the the hour, um, a fifteen minute uh, point. So is, is that is that point clear? So I, I, let's just, just summarize it. So you have it. Ravah be'ediravika. Ravah says says, um, de oraita. You can have one person, and rabanan you can have one person. Okay, Ravad doesn't disagree. This is so important. He doesn't disagree on the point of de oraita. He agrees. He's saying rabanan it's not good. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to um, demonstrate that soon. He's saying that a banana it's not good, And the reason we can say that a banana it's not good is because of so therefore we have the authority to do that. But there's another key to understanding this. In Harambam in the Haktaama to Mishnayot, he said that there were never machlokot among involving matters that we got from Moshe Rabbeinu. So, matters that we got from Moshe Rabenu, there was never a among the Now, um, we learned from Arabahabira de Rabika that there are cases where you can have um one dayan. On. right? he brings up a supitze and he says, Now how can he say How can he say that? Um, well, we're gonna see soon that Shemuel, and actually we read that. Um, did we read the statement of Shemu'el? Um, yeah, we did. So we're going to see that Shemuel says that it's fine that the, the, the adjudication is valid. So what is the dispute about? The dispute cannot be on the, the matter because if the dispute was on the matter, you would have a dispute involving a matter of biblical law, which where did we receive the laws? We received them from Moshe Rabenu. Right? So that cannot possibly be that on the law de oraita of one dayan, the haqamim are having a dispute. right? So therefore the only way to understand this is, as I explained it. How did I explain it? I said, "Nobody disagrees on the point of oraita, me." Kashe. The disagreement is, and what if somebody adjudicates the oraita? Right? What's the status of that? right we're going to see that it's more than that because later on the gemara is going to deal and say actually the you can also have one dayan we're going to we you know but the 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 yesod hayesodot is one dayan is kasher de oraita everybody agrees that the oraita one dayan is kasher the disagreement is and and and, and everybody agrees that under um, um, si- situations you need three dayanim and three mumchim. for example in the case of gezelot bachavalo but then there are situations of the otbah halbaot and in Hodaot the halvaot did the Hachamim require three Dayanim? It's that specific issue. And what happens? And, every, and, and, and and what happens if instead of using three dayanim, you use one dayan? So that's the crux of the dispute between Ravaha and Ravah, right? And let's just now read the last clause in the um gemara. If two people uh, adjudicated a dispute betin um, as we said this is an audacious uh, thing so ravah um, who follows the interpretation of Rabbi Agrees with Shem, uh, with um, agrees with the Rabbi Abhu, namely that the uh, adjudication is improper; it's an invalid adjudication. Notwithstanding that the Oraitah it's proper, the Hachamim say this is an invalid um, adjudication, and the Hachamim have a right to do so. Um, but here's the question: How can the Rabbi Abhu not be aware a second time of the statements of Shemuel? The first time was where Shemuel offered the interpretation of the Mishnah, and based on the interpretation of Shemuel, the way that Shemuel interpreted the Mishnah Rava, we had part two of our sugya. And here's second, second place where Rebbe Avu is not aware of what Shemuel said. Amar Shemuel din, said, din, right? That's strange. And, 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 and I could only speculate. And that's why it's important to understand the sugya also from a historical perspective. My speculation is as follows. Rabbi was in Caesarea in the days of the Roman occupation of Caesarea. The Roman government was there. And they were at war um, with the Persians. And Shemuel was, of course, in Neharda'a in Persia. And because Shemuel was in Neharda'a in Persia, Um, Apparently, um, there was a a lack of communication and a lack of um, exchange of um, halachot At this time in history, later on, there was more exchange. We know during Rabbi Yohanan's time there was more. We know that there were people who traveled, but there was this vacuum Um, and we see it. We see two cases where there was a vacuum, Rabbi Avu was unaware of what Shemuel said, and um and that's the premise of this got yeah, now i want to read to you um the perusha mishnayot uh, if you give me a moment it's unfortunate just give me a moment it's not here it's it'll take me uh, uh, approximately a minute so i apologize for this uh, delay mm-hmm. Okay, I am back. And um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share the screen with you. So Avi, I I will send you now, I will send you now a, let me just do this this way. It's not the highest quality, but I think it will be sufficient for our purposes. Okay, so Avi, If you would be so kind as to look at your WhatsApp and the photo that I just shared with you, do you have the ability to share that with the rest? Or I I can share it actually from my end if it's easier. You're muted, so I can't hear you. Um, I can. I can. I should be able to. If you give me. Okay, I'll 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 try to do it before you. Let's see who 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 um, does it first. Download it. Open. Okay. I think I can do this now on my end, so I'm going to save you the... Uh... Okay. All right, here we go. Okay, I want to read to you now Lishon HaRambam, okay? And you see by the way, now you understand what the suviah is. You see how every part of the suviah has a very specific function, a very specific role. Everything is clear. I mean, at this point, it's just a question of getting the information organized in your mind. That's why we have the structure, but I think the subya is so clear, it's almost, uh, it's almost delicious. Uh, uh, that's why I like setting, I love studying Gemara so much because it really is uh, a pleasure. Okay so you all see the uh Leshon Harambam, right Good Dinema Monot Look what Harambam says Hagezelot Of course included in the word Dinema Monot is gezelot Vahavalot but the very next word in the Mishnah is gezelot Vahavalot bishlosha. So why say it You see you see how Harambam is mirroring the um Exact discussion, exact question that our Gemara brought, you see? Right? You know that word for word, literally, you see, it's a reformulation of the Gemara. Here, Harambam offers precisely the explanation of Raba that. Gezalot v'chavalot are different than the rest of Dinei Mamonot. Gezelot v'chavalot require Mumchim, but the rest of um, dinema monot do not require Mumchim. You remember the um, statement of Rava? Um, dinei Mamonot b'shelosha idiotot, right? And then Gezalot uh, v'chavalot Bishlosha Mumchim, remember that? This, in the sugya that we study, this follows exactly the girsah that I brought to your attention perfectly. Perfectly. So you see that Ambam follows the older Gersot, which, well, I mean, I don't think that should be particularly surprising to anybody. <laughs> okay, um, uh, so in the case of Dine uh, Mamanot, other than Gezelot meaning Hodaot halba'ot, you don't require a And now he goes, Ehad im Hayam Also, you can have a single dayan if the dayan is a mumcheh what is Mumchel And this is going to be a subject that's dealt with in further suyot. But here you see that the idea of Shinaim Shidanu um, and hem Din, as expressed by Abiy Abhu is rejected in favor of Shemuel and in favor of Rabahabere de la Vika. And here you see the contribution of Rabahabere de la Vika to our discussion. We say, we say, doesn't mean that there's a democratic election and everybody comes to elect a uh, vote for judges means he's known in the public as a wise man because the have validated his knowledge right that's real that's really important right um, right Aval Habalot and Danimbahem Elashirosha Mumhi. But in the case of Gezalot Habalot, you do need three expert judges. Ulfiak uh dibur. And that's why you have Dinema Monot Bishloshah. That's part one. There's a split between the two, right? Belo amal dinema mono gezelot habalot bishlosha, exactly literally like I explained that if you listen to the previous recording. Um, in the question against Rava and how Rava answers it. Okay, that's it. That's what I want to bring to your attention. I see that it's 4:25. So actually, we have five minutes for questions, which is exactly where I was planning this. So, um, if there are any questions, I'm happy to address them. And again, I just want to address the question. I think somebody asked me on the Discord, um, the, you know, that chat, Discord. Um, somebody asked me. He offered an explanation of the um, Vilma. Um, Shas, and yeah, you could, you could, you could, you, it does have an explanation. I don't, again, I don't mean to discount that. Go ahead. If there's any questions, I'm uh, happy to address them now. Maybe, Robert, you want to ask last week's question? so my last week's question was answered, well, partially. It was answered that that the Rav said that uh, there are certain, well, uh, uh, we we have Shava. we, we we can we can override um, uh, an uh an, an, an assay, but not a low assay. He said. Um, I haven't thought through how that reflects to our sugia, but I was going to ask a slightly different question, which was the concept of um, hefke, hefke Bet din hefke. Is that a deriater concept, a drabanon concept, and does it matter? I mean, first, that's, that's an excellent question. Um, I, I like especially the last part. It doesn't matter. Uh, who, who's, who's asking this question right now? If I may ask. Robert, yeah. Robert. Okay. Thank you, Robert. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's an excellent question. Does it matter? In a, um, and and, and I, I would have to say that the authority given to the Betin by the Torah is to define property law and property rights, right? So that's really... Um, and that's really important. Yeah, yeah, the Torah gives them that authority. So the authority of the Betin is to Gezerot, Takanot, Dini Muflaim, to transmit the, uh, the laws received by Moshe Rabbeinu, but also to define property law. What's yeah. the structure of that? Though? Why do they have that right to... So we have to, we, we would have to study the um, we would have to study the appropriate tzugiot, in the, in the Gemara and see you know, the development of that law. Um, I think what's important here in this case is just the idea, again, that Haramam says there can be no dispute on things we receive from Moshe Rabbeinu. And therefore, I would have to say that the law of one Dayan, in the case of Vodaot Vahalvaot, or in, in the case of some um, Dinah Mamonot, it has to be something that was received from Moshe Rabbeinu. Um, otherwise, how can you say midi um, and, 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 and it fits in so perfectly with the concept that the mahloket is, well, what happens if, right? And that's why we need the law of um, or the principle of have Another question that was asked last week, I'm just, I have something in the back of my head, I remember, ah, yeah. Why does it say dinema monot bishloshah? So it says, "Oh, the odds bahal, the odds bishloshah." It's That that was a question. I'm not, I'm just thinking out loud. And again, the the, the formulation dinema monot. You see it later on. I think it's in chapter three or four. Again, it says dinema monot um, bishloshah. Zebor elohad, zebor elohad, shem boril leme'od elohad. That's the mishnah. So Rabbi Elchonon Kadosh always uses formulations that are common. He always prefers to use the common formulations. Because again, so I'm studying at Baal as you can see, I actually know about I, I w- This wasn't prepared as a trick for this, um, <laughs> for this class, but rather, right, so I know Dine Mishlosha, and then it repeats later on, Dine Mishlosha, right? So that was the way that Benu HaKadosh formulated the Mishnah, he preferred um, common usage terminology, at the expe- even though it's less precise, than to use the more precise terminology, yeah. Any other questions? Okay. So next week's sugya is a very short suvia. Um It has to do with textuality. Um, and it, it shows you how ideas were organized in the Mishnayot. Right? And it's very counterintuitive. What we're going to be reading next week is, is kind of counterintuitive. But it, it is interesting. It takes us deeper into rabbinic thinking. And um, under the assumption that there are no more questions, if there are, you can raise your hands or chime in under the assumption, therefore, apparently conclusion that there are no more questions. I'm going to wish you all a uh, lovely evening, wherever you are in your respective uh, locations. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for joining. And we look forward to next Monday. We'll continue. We, are we carrying on the next sugya? Yes. Yes. The very next sugya. All right.